And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, he writes for The Athletic. And just like his favorite salsa, he is Texas hot. Cody Stavenhagen, how you doing? Hey, doing good. Doing good. As long as we don't talk about college football today. This is a baseball podcast. This is a baseball podcast. No college football. No Kate Cunningham talk. Strictly Detroit Tigers baseball. And you know what? It's not like a shortage of news this week, Cody, especially when it comes to off-the-field manners. The Tigers made some, I guess you would call them adjustments to uh, the, to their front office. Uh, the gist of it is Dave Littlefield down, David Chad down, Kenny Graham up, Sam Menzen up, and Jay Sartori up. A little promotions in-house, one of them on an interim basis for Graham Uh David Chad and Dave Littlefield taking, I guess you would call it, advisory roles after you know a lifelong uh, time in baseball front offices. So uh, when this went down, Cody, were you surprised? Did you see it coming? Was it, or was the timing surprising? Uh, I don't know. You get these kind of things happening in the season all that often. And the Tigers coming on a crucial time for the franchise. Any front office move is key and will have ramifications for. So what were your thoughts on the timing of it and the actual names of guys, which I know you have written um, some profiles on them too. Yeah, I I feel bad in that I did not know this was coming. Uh, I thought I was in the loop. I wasn't in the loop. I had no idea this was happening. Um, turns out I've since found out it had been in the works for a while. Sam Minzen had recently moved into a, a nice new office upstairs, and David Chad um, hasn't really been on the scene here in a few weeks. But overall, like I think, I think different sects of the Tigers fan base kind of reacted to this differently. Most of the people in my mentions were sending me like gifts of people dancing and celebrating and stuff right? <laughs> but there was there was another sect that was kind of like why would you mess with things right when things are starting to work I did think the timing was a little bit curious Al Avila explained it as you know hey September is when most teams start making moves if you know you're going to do this why not get a head start it allows you a little bit of a head start on um, reaching out to who you want to interview for this new player development role and I think we should start there. Um, if, if you don't think this stuff is important, I would say you're wrong. I think this player development hire is huge. I think I've written a lot over the past couple of years about some of the, the, the behind-the-scenes changes and tweaks the Tigers have already made on the player development front. I think this is the stuff that helps build a winning organization that goes on behind the scenes, in the shadows, in the minor leagues, that all leads up to the products we eventually see in the majors, especially when it comes to developing depth, developing guys, you know, kind of these fringy guys, your Cody Clemens, your Alex Langs, like whoever those guys are in the next two or three years, those are the guys you need to become established major league players. Those are the things that the best organizations do well because they have the right personnel. Um, Dave Littlefield, you know, I, Look, the guy's been in baseball for a long time. He's uh, he's, he's got an established resume, although his uh, tenure as general manager of the Pirates from 01 to 07 is not, not well regarded. Uh, he's a good baseball man. He's a good scout. I do think it was probably time for a change in that area. Fact of the matter is, you know, the Tigers have had some minor player development victories over the past couple of seasons. But yeah, they haven't developed much of a homegrown hitter since Nick Castellanos. I'd say they've had some decent developments in the pitching department with guys like Gregory Soto. But I think it was clearly time to kind of move into the modern era of baseball. And if you really want to have a top-end player development system, your head of that system needs to be well-versed in analytics and all the data and technology that goes into training and developing players these days. I think hiring a kind of more progressive thinker, perhaps, yes, a younger leader in that department will be a positive thing for the franchise. Tigers have taken some steps there in the last couple of years. They've invested in the technology. The second step was getting the people to help apply the technology to the players. So if you have 
a Rapsodo machine that shows, you know, the, okay, this is the guy's spin rate, this is the guy's spin axis. You need someone who actually understands what that means to help the player tweak and apply, um, you know, things to his game, to his arsenal. The Tigers took some steps to doing that when they hired Kenny Graham, who is now the interim, um, you know, VP of player development, and, uh, and Dan Hubbs, who's their director of pitching strategies. Now I think the Tigers are going to expand. So we're going to see a new hire leading all this up. Kenny Graham's going to get interviewed for it, but the Tigers are also going to seek external candidates. I wouldn't be surprised if they have a couple guys in mind that, that they're already honing in on. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some additional hires to come. If you look at some other organizations, um, the Cubs come to mind. They have like four different, they have like a development of relief pitchers. They have like a pitch design strategist. They have all this stuff. I think the Tigers are interested in adding like a pitch design strategist in addition to Dan Hub's role. Um, and on the biomechanics front, I think we're going to see a lot of expansion. Georgia Giblin runs basically the Tigers sports performance area of things where they, they really evaluate guys' bodies and how they perform and can tweak deliveries and swings based on strengths and weaknesses in, in players' um you know, kind of physical makeup. So I think we're going to see a lot more of Georgia Giblin around in the next couple of years and perhaps an expansion to her staff as well. So I think that stuff all stems from the front office moves that were announced last week and, and the player development front especially is going to be very important to the future of this franchise. You know, perhaps the unanswerable question, or at least based on information that would get out, is what was the real inception of these particular moves? Because as you said, like incrementally, this stuff had been going on. Uh, the baseline analysis is this has a lot to do with what's going on in the field in terms of the AJ Hinch effect. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be true. I'm not dismissing that. I feel like there's probably more to it. You got to hear from Al afterward and and before you kind of give your your little analysis there I, I I read your story available on the athletic if you're a subscriber I read your story and I'm looking at Al's quotes and I was like checking my watch it says that it's the year 2021 I thought it was 2011 based on the things he was saying because it was a lot of word salad where it's like, yeah, we're embracing new technologies and analytics, but we're not going to abandon our old school ways. I was like, I thought we were past this. Like we as like a as a baseball culture, I thought we were past the point where we sort of have to distinguish like it's just all information now, I feel like. I feel like we should just view everything as information, what you see with your eyes, what the data shows you, what these technology uh, applications are telling you. It's all I, it all should just be information at this point. We should move on from old school, new school. Uh, I thought it was kind of weird the way Al was phrasing it. Maybe he's trying to defend his guys, which I get. I would, I would, I would, one thousand percent understand that. Um, and obviously, as we've talked about, he is a guy who kind of who came up in in the old school fashion of scouting. But it just kind of, I don't know. It, it read to me as something that I was like, why are we still talking this way? Why are we still talking this way? Sort of like if it, if it were a football analogy, it'd be like, yeah, we're still going to run the ball occasionally on first down, but we're willing to pass it on first down now. It's like, just get yards on first down. If you're trying to build a team, just get information. So I thought that was kind of, I don't know. I just kind of was taken aback by that. I was like, why Why are we talking this way? Why are we talking this way? Well, what, what did you think kind of hearing Foreman deci uh, deciphering it as you're putting together your story attending this press conference? Yeah, I think you raise a pretty interesting point. I think the best people in player development, the most modern people in player development, don't necessarily talk about it as old school versus new school. Like It just is what it is now. And the best player development systems embrace data, technology, analytics without totally forsaking scouting and the eye test. I think Al had to do a little bit of messaging, still has to tout up, oh, we're going to be more progressive. Because I think the Tigers have made um, some pretty good strides in this department in the last two, three, four years. Maybe the baseball industry um, still doesn't quite give them credit for that. So I think Al wanted to market that to the fan base, to the rest of the league. Like, hey, we're taking steps here. We're becoming more and more progressive. 
at the same time, I bet the old school comment was more um, probably, like you said, to defend his guys, his scouting department. He, they, I don't think they're going to cut scouts. I don't think he wants anyone worrying about their jobs. I don't think um, they're going to become the, the the Astros and basically not rely on like in-person scouting. One of the Tigers' strengths, I think, still has, is having pretty good eyes on the ground. Um, they identified Riley Green. We'll see how Jackson Job turns out, but those, even though those were highly touted players, the Tigers fell in love with them based on the eyes of their scouts as much as anything. Uh, but I agree. The, the real way to phrase it is not necessarily old school versus new school. It is all information. You got to develop good players, whatever that takes. Now, for as much progress as the Tigers made, were they still behind in certain areas? Well, go look at comments from Dustin Garneau recently, who basically said, you know, when he came to spring training, these pitchers had some catching up to do in terms of modern pitch usage, um, the quadrants you're utilizing, throwing the high fastball. And he said he's seen a lot of progress in that area. Go look at what Eric Haas told Fangraphs um, about a month or so ago, saying he came over from the Indians and was kind of shocked at how far the Tigers were behind pitching-wise. So although there are some good developments, when Dave Littlefield and David Chad and even Al Avila are kind of your main guys running things, you know what? The Tigers are still behind, especially compared to the Astros, the Dodgers, the Indians, um, some other teams that have really been on the forefront of this stuff for a long time. So that's that's why I think these changes are, are um, positive. So in a weird way, the Tigers both have made more progress than people get credit for, but also are still behind. You know, if you can balance those two ideas at once, I think that's that's a good assessment of where the Tigers are at. Um, and then we can move on and talk a little bit about Sam Minzen and, and Jay Sartori if we want to go there. Yeah, well, just just one quick point uh, that I wanted to make. So we're two millennials doing a podcast Um Yelling at old people for not trusting analytics is sort of like the millennial version of get yeah. off my lawn. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to come across as that. Like I I don't I, I do want to give some credit to Al for even if it's not to the satisfaction of everybody and even if it's not enough to be where the franchise wants to be, like he's still embracing these ideas. So I don't want it to sound like this you know, Al is terrible take here. Um, there is some credit for kind of seeing this process through and hiring AJ Hinch and his coaching staff and, and what they can do as they sort of mold this roster and mold the development. And, you know, just based on the pictures provided, it looks like the, the guys coming up are some young guys too. So like, it's also not easy to be the one in power and then be told that you got to do something different and then sort of like delegate those responsibilities of which the results are going to fall on your head. So it's, so I want to, I want to be fair to out there. I, I think there are a lot of leaders who can be stubborn in when it comes to embracing things that they weren't brought up in. I think Dave Dombrowski might be a pretty good example. Dave Dombrowski is a great accomplished general manager. Um, but the Tigers were behind because at the at the outset of the analytics movement, they made no progress under Dave Dombrowski. They did not embrace it at all. Even when Dombrowski was in Boston, he was known to rarely talk to the analysts. Yeah, he built up the roster. He won him a title, and then they let him go. But that's kind of the Dave very Dombrowski shortly way. afterward. Yes, very yes. shortly after. Uh, that's not to knock say Dave Dombrowski's a, a better or worse or like a bad GM. He's not. He's a great GM, but. Um, one of the reasons Al Avila inherited a team that had no analytics department is because of Dave Dombrowski. And no farm Al, system because he yeah, didn't believe no in farm, farm systems system. either. Yeah. So Al, you know, yeah, of course, look, this franchise, this front office has had its shortcomings. I think one of Al's, if you just look at the trajectory of this guy's life from being a, a coach at an NAIA school and an athletic director at an NAIA school, he's a pretty good delegator. He's pretty good at understanding his weaknesses and trying to hire the right people to correct those weaknesses. If you don't believe that, look at the fact he hired AJ Hinch. Look at the fact he hired Jay Sartori, who has quickly gained a lot of influence in this organization. Um, that doesn't mean the Tigers are the Dodgers. doesn't mean the Tigers are the Astros. But I think 
it would be easy to just completely neglect those areas, and that's that's not really what the Tigers have done. Although they've been playing catch up, they're trying. They're trying, and I think it's slowly they're making sure progress. It's strides. not even about yeah. trying. They're making progress. Yeah. You're making oh, strides. I, I, You're making I think moves. They have. I think more than people give them credit for. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to the other moves, I think you know David Shad keeping his assistant GM title, but it sounds like he's not going to have near as much day to day involvement in the big league club. He's going to go back and focus on player development, do some scouting, spend some time in Lakeland, spend some time chilling as home in good old Wichita, Kansas. Shout out Wichita. Uh, I, I think that's a good move for David Chad because again, people like to paint David Chad as like, Oh, he's this dinosaur. He's old. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, David Chad is more of an old school guy, but this guy was the scout of the decade in the two thousands by baseball America. Great scout with the, the Marlins and the Red Sox. And then later, um, the Tigers, I think, you know, I've kind of heard that David kind of wanted this and maybe that's as the Tigers were evaluating, thinking, how do we become more progressive? This is where some of the moves started to come in focus when David was like, I'd really rather get back to my roots, be out on the field, be scouting, um, have some boots on the ground. And so that's what David Chad is going to get to do without any sort of formal demotion. Whereas Dave Littlefields, I think you could paint as more of a demotion. He was the vice president for player development. He's now a special assignment scout by the very nature. That's that's a demotion. Um, David Chad's, he's ceding a lot of power and I think the day-to-day of the big league club, but, you know, retaining his title. Uh, so that leaves a void to fill. So Sam Minzen and Jay Sartori, two young kind of risers in this front office. They've had a pretty big influence in this organization for a couple of years now. Now they officially get assistant general manager titles. Their day-to-day involvement will expand. Sam Minzen's going to travel with the big league club more. And I think these are two sharp guys. Uh, I know them both fairly well. I think they're very different guys, which is interesting. I think Minzen's really made his mark being kind of the guy who, who makes this machine run. He does a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, rules, compliance, arbitration. He served as kind of the, the head of, of COVID-19 protocols. He does a lot of stuff like that. Um, and that's not to say he's, he doesn't know what he's doing in baseball because he's also um, overseen the pro scouting department, which, you know, I, I think he had a, a lot to do with getting Akil Badu drafted. Um, but that's kind of Minzen. He's, he's very, um, disciplined and detail oriented and dependable. And I think that's why he has ascended up the Tigers organization. He's only 31. Jay Sartori's 42. He built the analytics department from scratch here. That analytics department has, I would say, gained more and more influence each year in the Tigers organization. He's a really sharp guy. Used to work at Apple, has experience in the Blue Jays and the Nationals organization as well. Um, he's a little more involved, as I understand, in the baseball decision-making. Yes, analyzing the analytics. Also, he's been involved in um, trades and and identifying free agent acquisitions, things along those lines. So we're going to see a lot more of those two guys. And yeah, at the end of the day, it is a little bit of a youth movement. It is a little bit of fresh blood. Two more forward-thinking guys will be more involved in the day-to-day, whereas David Chad will not be as involved in the day-to-day. So um, I think that's the right decision for this stage in the Tigers' rebuild or build-up. You're getting some of your youngest, smartest, freshest people more power and more influence. I think think it's hard to uh, say that's anything but good. Not necessarily for the Tigers, but just in general what you know about these guys, these young bucks. Do, do either of them, it sounds like one of them at least does, kind of strike you as guys who could be like future GMs? Um, Just in general? Yeah, I mean, I think they both have, look, these guys are now assistant GMs. If the Tigers, if this goes well and the Tigers are um, deep in the postseason in 24, 25, teams are probably going to say, oh, who, you know, let's, let's interview the two young assistant GMs of the Tigers. So I think they're both going to have resumes that could get them looks to be future general managers. Um, I'd I'd be interested as, again, I think their strengths are very different. So it depends what you're looking for in your GM. Uh, I could see Sartori being in a little more of a Jeff Lunau mold where he's probably a little more of a calculated decision maker. I think Sam Minzen... Again, I think his strengths are just making things run smoothly and efficiently. 
I think he's going to be taking a lot, a lot more responsibility on the actual baseball side of things, and I'll be interested to see um, how he handles it. But yeah, by the very nature, um, either one of them could have could have the potential to become a GM, um, whether it's Detroit, whether it's somewhere else, one of these days. And I assume these guys, from what you can tell, have good relationships with Hinch, right? They seem like they'd be the same. I, I would think so. I mean, I know, uh, I know, you know, Sam Minzen has to be very involved with Hinch in terms of um, calling guys up, sending guys down. Again, kind of the more transactional stuff. He, he submits, you know, the computer entries to the league or however that works. A lot of stuff that I, the little stuff that you don't even think about, how does this actually work? That's what Sam Minson okay. does. Um, and, you know, Sartori um, and his whole analytics department provide the information, the scouting reports, the data. So I'm sure he goes over that with uh, with Hinch and the coaching staff. And I don't think it's quite fair to say A.J. Hinch made these moves like he was the orchestrator. Uh, someone asked Al Avila basically that. And <laughs> I think Al was almost a little perturbed. Like, hey, come on here. Like, I've been working on this stuff for a few years now. Like, I'm, I'm the freaking um, president. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think there was AJ isn't the reason this happened, but AJ and Chris Fetter, like I think certainly accelerants to that. Two guys who really know player development and know what they need and probably are able to say, you know, like maybe it's time to move on from Dave Littlefield and we'll have some say in the next hire. Um I you know, I think if they did, if AJ Hinch wouldn't give a stamp of approval for Sam Minson and Jay Sartori, it might not happen. So I don't think he was like the puppet master behind these moves, but I think he probably helped some of this come to light, maybe even a little faster than it might have otherwise. You know, I did like it when Al said that, you know, they're going to start putting in requests for guys from other clubs and, mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to get permission to interview and, and stuff like that. Cause that's, you know, that's what a proactive organization does. I it, And as you said, there's, you know, uh, not a doubt in my mind, they got six names that that they, oh, they yeah. want to talk to. It's the same thing. Like, Al, would, from Al's perspective, it's the same as, like, AJ preparing for if George Lombard, like, got a managerial job. Like, he would have to have a handful of people that he would at least want to talk to about replacing George Lombard. So Al, I'm sure, has a lot of – he's been in baseball a long time. Uh, work for several organizations, handful of organizations, so he would um, have an idea of who he wants. So from that perspective, it kind of reminded me of, and I I know it's not the same, but it kind of reminded me of like when Ron Gardenhire like stepped down as manager last year, in the sense that we all kind of knew the end was coming, and this is like a respectful way of exiting. And then you can kind of go get somebody that's going to put some juice into that office. It's kind of what it reminded me of. I, I think that's a really good, a really good comparison. Um, we'll just go ahead and say it. People are already bringing up, okay, is Al going to transition into like some sort of president role and they hire a new GM, kind of like the Rangers did with with John Daniels moving up and uh, and then they bring in Chris Young. I don't know. I've not caught wind of that being imminent. If I had to guess, I don't think that's going to happen right now. Maybe there's a day where that becomes the appropriate move. Um, I know a lot of fans want that, but I think uh, if I had to guess as of now, that's that's not quite in the cards just yet. Well, I'll tell you what. If I was Al, I'd be like, I ain't thinking about that for right, at least right. probably another two, three years. Like I'd at least want to get this team into like a division championship yeah, contention. This is Al's chance to finish the job. Yeah. You know? So like, I like, it's like, Oh, like I'm not stepping down right when the fruit is ripe. <laughs> that's how, that's how I would feel if I were Al, you know, if you were, that's, you know, I guess you could argue maybe it's not ultimately his decision, but I, I think that's just a, a natural thing to think and latch onto and put on Twitter. So far, I've heard no basis of that actually being reality. Granted, I didn't know the Minzen and Sartori promotions were coming, so maybe you just shouldn't listen to me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. In terms of uh, in terms of good moves, you wrote about one this week. Uh, Robbie Grossman has been, as as I call it, the best five million dollars that. Chris Illich has ever spent because 
I we weren't doing the podcast obviously when when the off season was going on, but you know you and I kind of know each other, so we would talk, and it's like, whoa, this is actually a pretty nice move. And uh, when the signing occurred, two years, ten million, five million each, and uh, I'll tell you what, it, it's been a great ROI based on on the field performance and uh, and what it seems. I mean, you're on the team, obviously, but what it seems his impact has been um, in the intermediate stuff, in the locker room, in the in the training. The guy's a consummate professional, and you can never have enough consummate professionals in you know really any sport, but especially a grind like a baseball season, 162 games. And speaking also of guys who have had to sort of learn a different way of going about things, poster child. Robbie Grossman, you know, and, and I don't want to, like, if you can read about it on The Athletic, I don't want to spoil everything, but it was kind of like a middling guy, and he finally sort of found what his niche could be, which is some pop, and he, we're not, we're recording this podcast not too long after he recorded his uh, 20th home run, first time he had 20 in a season, Cody. Real quick, I wrote about Robbie Grossman this week. I'm sure we have some listeners who listen to the pod because it's free, but don't subscribe to The Athletic. I don't I don't try to, like, hound people for subscriptions a lot. Well, I was just comparing some numbers, and there have been a lot more people subscribing to Pistons and Red Wings coverage, even still this year, even with the Tigers playing well. Why, why is that? People are... Look, my readership's way up. Thank you guys for all reading, but still need to attract more new subscribers. Um, if, you're, if you're here listening about the Tigers, you were more interested in them recently... It'd be real cool if you could subscribe. Also, again, it'd help me feed my dog, Olive. We still got that deal going? Still 50% off, I think, for at least another week, yeah. Yeah, can't beat that. Can't beat that. Uh, Anyway, in terms of good deals, Robbie Grossman, yeah. Really good signing. And you have another year of him. Doesn't that second year look just really good to have right now? Uh, One of the things A.J. Hinch said way back in spring training is what like one of the best ways Robbie Grossman is a leader is just his sheer story. The fact that this guy was kind of a grinder, you know, was kind of a bench guy and then a platoon guy and became an everyday player with the Twins. But then they got rid of him and he became an everyday player with the A's. And at age like 29, he's like, okay, if I want to stay in the league, I got to up my OPS. I got to start hitting homers. He's always had a good plate approach, a good walk guy. Uh, but he got in the lab. He upped his launch angle to 15 degrees. This year, it's all the way up to 20 degrees. He embraces a modern style of hitting, despite being this grinder, old school type with the eye black or the Oakley shades. And you know, as I write about in the story, he doesn't want to do the bow and arrow celebration with his teammates after hitting a homer. He even calls them these young kids, which is hilarious. He's 31, and I'm like. Wow, he's only like four years older than I am. That makes <laughs> I think of Robbie Grossman as being like 50, you know, but he's not. Um, but he's also embraced this launch angle, power-driven style of hitting without sacrificing getting on base. He draws a lot of walks. He does not chase. He does not whiff very often. His strikeout totals are somewhat high. I think because he has such a good eye, he sometimes his eye is better than the umpire's. He doesn't whiff. He is proof that you can become an OPS-driven player without, oh, all these guys do now is hit homers or strike out. Like, that's not really true. That's not necessarily the case for Robbie Grossman. He's a really well-rounded hitter, Um, great OBP numbers. He's hit first. He's hit third for the Tigers this year. Very much kind of what I thought this offseason. Not a sexy signing, not a star, but a very shrewd signing at a good value. This guy has become a good i would say above average major league player and the tigers get him for at least one more year to put it in perspective the conversations that we were having regarding jonathan scope in the lead up to the trade deadline then obviously um the extension that he signed we would be having those exact same conversations this year and unless something changes it's very likely we're going to be having those conversations about robbie grossman next year because you know he's uh he's a good player that like that has as you said the approach that like good teams will value 
and he'll be on an expiring again i don't know if an extension or anything is in the works uh or whatever but like these are real things like he's that'll be that'll be a conversation for next year and people keep asking like what does the outfield look like next year well what you wrote about i don't know i don't think the tigers know uh right because we've talked we've talked about before I heard this week that the Tigers do like the idea of Riley Green being the opening day center fielder. Ooh, that would be intriguing. Breaking news. But I think if Derek Hill keeps hitting like this, I think Derek, I think Derek Hill can be your opening day center fielder. No, I love that. Um, so, you know, you brought up a couple weeks ago, play Daz Cameron in whatever role you see him f- if filling. He's doing that it shit. right now. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps that role is AAA, unfortunately, for Mr. Daz Cameron. Well, well, speak, uh, speaking we'll, of outfield, we'll we'll um, so Tigers Twitter, very excited uh, about the team being respectable and, and you know winning some games. The, although in August, what was it, 12 and 14, a little bit of a come down to earth, which was expected. Mm. The schedule was harder in August. So that's uh, that, that was kind of chalk, even if it didn't feel like it at the time with some of the way that some of those games went. Uh, a lot of buzz this week about Starlin Marte, and I get it. It's a nice name. I just look. I'm just looking at baseline numbers here. I, I didn't do a whole lot of research, but I think he hit his tenth home run of the season against the Tigers. Maybe eleventh. I can't remember. And yeah, his tenth home run. Is that? That's that's down. That that pop is down for him, is it not? I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at his numbers, and he had you know full season the past two full seasons. He had gotten twenty plus, and here we are in August, and he's hitting his uh, his tenth home run. And when we talk about guys that the Tigers going to want, they're going to want some guys with pop. Not and again, Marte is still a valuable player. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. It's just like if you you being like the generic you know, Tigers fan who's very well informed, if you're telling me this is what you need out of your outfield to get in the offseason, and then you tell me a name, and he doesn't satisfy one of those requirements, I got questions. That's all I'm saying. I got questions. You know, not to say that I don't think that'd be a good signing, because I think he's a good player, but he is also 32, about to turn 34. These are, like, Everyone was all above, uh, all aboard the Starlin train this this week, and you know, like, I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not sure I would like stake my reputation on it. Is that fair? Yeah, I think. Um, I'm gonna say it right now. I think the Tigers should add a right-handed bat in the outfield next year. The argument against that is okay. You have Daz Cameron, Victor Reyes, a young Riley Green, Akil Badu. If you bring in a right-handed bat you're basically kind of eliminating one of those guys from the mix. And my response to that is like, so what? Like we were talking about in spring training, how about we just accept that Victor Reyes is what he is? Not a bad player, but if you can get someone better, why not get someone better? We might be nearing that point with Daz Cameron. If you can't prove it on the field pretty soon, well, okay. Like we're going to, we're not just going to sit around and wait forever. You can have an outfield of, um, Grossman, Green, Badu, and Starlin Marte. And guess what? Outfielders, they get hurt a lot. So you're still going to see plenty of Derek Hill, maybe even Victor Reyes over the course of a year. Um, I'm in favor of it. I think Starling Marte has an 861 OPS, which is the highest of his career this year. So let's not just look at the home run totals. He's hitting 320. He gets on base. And he does have a history of some pop. I was digging into his numbers a little deeper. It's kind of weird his home run totals are down. The, the analytics don't necessarily suggest that. So should note he got hit in the head um, on, by a pitch from Alex Manoa on Friday night. So I don't know if he'll, I don't know his status. Um, hopefully he's okay. If he plays the rest of the year, I wouldn't be shocked to see him finish with 15, 16 homers. And then that's not that far off 20. And he has the highest OPS of his career. Oh, and he has 42 stolen bases. Uh, he is 32. I do like stolen bases, Cody. He is 32. So I think he'll be a tricky case this offseason for any team, not just the Tigers. Is he going to command one a four-year deal? Because I don't know if I would do that. But if you could pay him he made, two. He's making $12.5 million this year for what it's worth. So if you could get him 
two years 16 AAV, two years 18 AAV. If I were a team, that's what I would try to get Marte at. He might want four years, 15, 16. I'd say, what if we do two, but up the AAV a little bit. Now, as that looks for the Tigers, as appealing as adding Starling Marte to your outfield mix is, can you afford $18 million for Starling Marte and 24, 26, 28, 30 for a shortstop? And you want a, probably a pitcher? Like, I don't know if you can get all that. I don't know. I don't know what Chris Illich is going to set the budget at. That's probably a little bit ambitious. So as much as I like the idea, I worry that if you sign Starling Marte, that probably means you missed out on Carlos Correa and Trevor Story, and you're going to sign like in Jolton Simmons or something. So um, speculation, we'll have to see. The Tigers are still figuring out exactly what the budget is going to be. Uh, my understanding is Alavilla has like not received a number from ownership yet. Some of it depends on the revenue that the team brings in here in the next month of the season. But it's fun to speculate about. It is, and I and you would definitely agree that signing one of those shortstops, those high high uh, high end shortstops, is a number one I, on the priority I list. I understand the risk, you know, getting tied down on a long deal. I would make a play at Carlos Correa, man. I would do it. And so you would have to, and you know, I could easily, I could easily see Marte waiting out the market a little bit. I don't necessarily yeah. think those shortstops are gonna wait out the market. I think, I think they're gonna know what their market is, and when they get the right combination of years, salary, and team, um, they're gonna, they're gonna sign. That's just my, that's just my guess. I could be wrong. We'll see if there even is a market. There might be a lockout. So that's true. <laughs> Maybe no one signs until February. I don't know what to expect. And, and, and speaking, uh, speaking of impending free agents, and the Tigers are in Cincinnati the, this weekend. I just got to say this one thing about Nick Castellanos. Like, well, that'd be a pretty good outfielder. Does he? Does he hit right-handed? He he, he does. See, that's the thing. Like everybody laments, like the fumbling of the Cassiano situation and I'm not going to argue that at all I'm not going to argue it but if we look at his actions since it's hard for me to say like I think this dude just wants to make as much money as possible and by the way pro labor podcast sometimes being pro labor is not pro capitalist this is a pro labor pro capitalist stance right here I want as I want people to make as much money, whether it be ball players, bankers, journalists, you know, real estate developers. I want people to make as much money as they possibly can. Pro labor. I want them to make as much money as they possibly can in their job. So I'm not criticizing Nick for it, but I also think that needs to be taken into consideration with the general Castellanos conversation. That's just like a little. That it's just like. If you're going to do all these ops outs and you're going to leave Chicago and then you're going to definitely leave Cincinnati and it's and you're going to try to get as much money as you possibly can. Again, not a criticism, but you know, calling a spade a spade here. I, I think that needs to be noted. Like he was just going to always go to the highest bidder because he felt like he was worth a certain dollar amount and he wasn't going to budge from that. Again, don't blame him. I'm glad he's made it. I'm glad he's making money, but like it. it it, it kind of reminds me, and I'm sorry to use this analogy. It kind of reminds me when the Lions couldn't sign Indomitian Sue years ago, and then he signed like for 113 million dollars guaranteed in my with the Miami Dolphins. And it's like, okay, the guy just wanted to make as much money as possible. Like you can't blame the franchise when they can't offer that same amount of money, you know. And maybe the Tigers could have, but if that's his priority, that's his priority. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not. I'm- Look, the Tigers probably won't be able to pay Nick Castellanos this offseason, in which he probably is going to opt out of this deal because he's going to have a uh, the chance to make a lot more money. Man, good for him. But I don't think I don't I don't think I think you're insinuating Nick Castellanos doesn't care about winning. To which I would say, what you know, what was the first team Nick Castellanos played on? The, the first franchise, the Detroit Tigers. He played on some really bad teams. When he got traded to the Cubs, how did Cubs fans receive him? They loved him, and Nick loved playing in Chicago because he was playing in a pennant race, and he 
damn near put the Cubs over the top. Uh, unfortunately, that roster was flawed to begin with. And now he went to Cincinnati, which proved winning baseball club. He talks a lot about it's fun to win. Go look at the stuff he's said over the past year. That doesn't mean, yeah, he's going to opt out. Maybe the Reds pony up and, and sign him more. Like I like that he hasn't, Scott Boris devised this deal where he had multiple opt outs because Nick always thought he was going to become the player he is today, hitting 320 with 26 homers. Nick always thought he was that type of player. It was a little bit of a bet on himself. And guess what? He was right. He's 29 years old. He can go get paid this offseason, and I think he's going to go to a winner, whatever team that is. I don't think he wants to play for a losing team ever again uh, because he still hasn't quite experienced what it's really like to be on a winner. I mean, look, you if you're a professional athlete, you have a very short window for your career for maximizing your compensation for your talent. Like, you, Cody Stavenhagen, the writer, the journalist— can do this essentially until you die. Professional athletes can't. So, uh, like, like, if it comes across I'm insinuating he doesn't care about winning, maybe so. That's not what I'm trying to do. I don't blame anyone who's trying to maximize their dollars. So, like, I mean, for a long time, that's how the Tigers were able to sign people because they were willing to pay them more money even though we are going to be on a losing team. So I wouldn't begrudge him if he was choosing money over winning. Um, but I do think that if he's going to do this process over and over and over again, we just got to call a spade a spade. That's all I'm saying. Like, it's just like, he wants to maximize his dollar output and that needs to be part of the conversation. No, that never gets brought up. I'm just saying it needs to be part of the conversation. That's all. That's all. Wow. I hope Nick gets a seven year deal worth a ton of money. This yeah. Month. So do I. He might just do so it. So do I. I mean, that's why he had an opt out because the market, his market, again, the Tigers couldn't trade him. Everyone just assumed, well, he sucks at defense and he's like a good hitter, but not a great hitter. And now the guy's an MVP candidate. Yeah, good for him. I hope I hope he signs for 400 million. I really do. You know, this is turning the corner when we go on a long tangent about Nick Castellanos. Also, I think billionaires should pay higher taxes. Ooh, he went there. (laughs) (laughs) Well... From billionaires to millionaires, you also wrote about Gregory Soto this week. I assume he makes a million dollars. I don't know his salary off the top no, of my head. No, he's uh he's still in the league minimum. Oh man, that will not that will not continue for long. Soon to soon be, be millionaire. A millionaire. Soon to be millionaire. Um, I thought it was really cool. Uh, well, first of all, let me do this. Cody, do you have any tattoos? I do not. You do not have any tattoos. I'm not anti-tattoo, but I personally uh, just don't have any. I would want to make sure it was something very meaningful. I also don't know if I could really pull one off, so I don't have any tattoos. (laughs) Well, you know who pulls it off is Gregory Soto, (laughs) (laughs) whose uh, right arm and other parts of his body are riddled with him, and it's a part of this whole like persona of Gregory Soto um being this and i mean this respectfully just wild child on the mound like he he comes in he throws gas he shows emotion uh in some ways he's sort of like the for the tigers at least he's the pitcher profile for let the let the kids have fun he's not the only one who shows emotion cisnero can can show a lot of emotion and Menez has done it in crucial spots but like Soto it just it just exudes out of him highly entertained the watch and then he goes to the all-star game he's got the special glove uh got the hundred tattoo all these things you mentioned in your story got the hundred emoji tattoo on his arm uh I just I just it's one of the things that we're starting to forget how rough it was there for a bit and oh, he's an all star. Oh, he's your number one bullpen pillar. I I, th- I think it's really great that he has kind of come on come into an, his own. And from what it seemed like in your story, he's also taking some strides to be, I guess, a little bit more of a face of an organization. Uh, doing some interviews in English, which I commend. I th- I mean, I I I do not speak a second language. Uh, I 
took two years of Spanish in high school, like every other person in Texas, I'm sure around the country, can't really remember squat. I have so much respect for bilingual people, and I have even more respect for people who go into a foreign country to work and learn the language and like in a way that they can, you know, communicate with in terms of professional athletes with like their fan base. I have so much respect for those guys. And if and, and if they don't do it, doesn't doesn't like rise to me at all. Like I because I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'll just be honest. So uh, it seemed like. Soto's, you know, learning some English a little bit, and he was able to do some of this interview in English, which, you know, I think is pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I, w- I want to make sure we strike the right tone here. It doesn't matter if Gregory Soto does his interviews in English or not. No, yeah. Most athletes are more no, comfortable no. in their native language if they prefer to do interviews in their native tongue. All the power to them. Sometimes I I prefer... uh like the Tyler, the Tigers have Carlos Guillen, not the former player, but their bilingual media relations coordinator who does a great job. Very good talking to um, Latin athletes and, and um, you know, he does a great job interpreting. Those interviews always go well. Sometimes these guys are able to express their thoughts better in their native tongue, just like you or I would. Uh, but I, I've also seen this before. Sometimes these guys are athletes. So number one, they are learning something. They are learning a new language. And because they are driven and and convicted people, I think they want to prove that they can do it. I think in a way, Gregory Soto, like this speaks to his confidence on the mound, his confidence in life. He's like, I, I'm starting to get English. No, I'm going to do my interviews in English. Uh, I think I've covered guys like that before. Sometimes to a fault where they want to do the interview in English. It's their idea. And... They can do it, but you can tell they're not quite able to express their thoughts as well. You kind of get two or three word answers. Like in my Soto piece, he's only directly quoted once or twice. And even though, you know, we had a a very good conversation, it was kind of cool talking to him in English. uh, The guy is able to elaborate more in in his native tongue. So it's, it's just kind of an interesting divide and it's a delicate balance for those guys. Do you go with the tongue you're more... um, comfortable in or do you give into this pressure that unfortunately you know i think some of these guys feel oh they have to speak english that's the culture um it's tough but again i do i i think it's i think it's related to this guy's just general confidence i think he thinks he can strike anyone out i think he thinks he can um uh master a new language i think he thinks he can do anything he wants to do i think that's who gregory soto is and i think that's why he has blossomed into a very good pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. Also, this story gets at, we have this perception of him. You start looking at the tattoos on the guy's right arm. He's got his son's name. He's got his mother's face and name. He's got the um, the Dominican Republic's coat of arms, you know, kind of a nod to where he's from. He's got Bible verses, praying hands, some stuff that I think reveals a softer or deeper side to Gregory Soto. Values where he comes from, the people he comes from, values his faith. And in the middle of all that, you got a hundred emoji. So, you know, and one love of Bob Marley reference on the neck. Pretty cool, kind of a diverse array of tattoos. And yes, he got the hundred emoji before he threw 100 miles an hour because he just liked it. But now it's really fitting. And just one little quick anecdote, uh, because again, I do agree with you. I want to strike the right tone here. Uh, back in my, uh, my journalism days, I was an intern for the Poughkeepsie Journal in New York. That's where the Hudson Valley Renegades, at the time, a low-A rookie ball minor league team uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays organization. And there was a media day, and basically their entire roster was made up of 19, 20-year-olds, 17-year-olds, you know, like right off the plane from the Dominican Republic. First experience in America. They got a little bit of a pro contract, sort of a let's see if you can, you know, hack it type deal. They're in a new country. They're in a, you know, just a completely foreign environment. And my job was to do Q&As with every player for the newspaper. And to see them in that environment and then you add on, which would be tough for anybody, and then you add on the language barrier um, and the way that these guys like handled the situation. I mean, if, if you haven't 
seen it it's hard to describe like what that's mm-hmm. like and so I, that's why i say like it's, i'm not there's there will never be a criticism for me for not learning english from any foreign player and because of that i think 1000 percent. if you just look at it as like another thing to tackle because it's hard it's the english language is we, hard we, we also we also need to realize it's a lot more than just interviews i mean it's these guys day-to-day lives um Miguel Cabrera, when he first came to the U.S., would only eat at Burger King because he could, I don't know if he knew how to say the numbers, or I think he would, at first, you know, he would just hold up a one or two with his fingers, and that's how he would order from Burger King, and he knew what he was getting, so he would only go to Burger King. Armando Galarraga told me, when he first came to the States, he would only eat at Subway because he could point at what he wanted. You know, that's that's how hard it is. That's how hard living in a different country, different language, different culture is for these guys so i think while you're trying um, to establish yourself in a career you're trying to yeah play baseball like wow a game of failure yeah so well one last thing about soto is it's so refreshing to see a guy who was probably put up in the major leagues before he was ready because of the 40-man roster requirement and you know the some of the logistical things I, i saw him pitch in 2019 uh, when he was starting, when they were still trying to figure out what kind of role he would have, and to be an all-star two years later, I mean, it's quite frankly kind of amazing. And it's credit to him, it's credit to the organization, it's credit to, you know, A.J. Hinch and Chris Fetter and everybody. And so it, it's great to see. He's one of the better feel-good stories of the team this year. And I kind of use this phrase a lot, but because it's happening so frequently it's sort of like taken for granted i think by some of the the tigers fans because now we just expect him to be like he is an all-star well it's not too long ago he was far from it so um i thought it was really neat also love the part where uh no tattoos on the left arm because that's uh that's that's his money making arm that's his pitching arm so uh really really enjoyed that story sometimes uh cody you write stories that are like really serious and you know go deep into like some numbers and other times you write a story where you just kind of can say like this is who this guy is and you can share some anecdotes and you know and, you know like the hundred emoji tattoo like just some lighthearted stuff god you get a variety of stories if you subscribe to the athletic uh which you can for 50 percent off at this current time so, uh, breaking news as we're recording the pod, it won't be breaking news on Monday, but the Tigers have called up Drew Carlton for pitching depth. I wasn't sure if they were going to go with Paredes or a pitcher. They're going with Drew Carlton in place of Zach Short. Uh, one more pitching depth for the weekend. We're not going to do it now, but there's definitely a Paredes conversation that, uh, needs to be had. Well, let me wrap, let's, let's wrap up with this. We got our AJ Hinch suggestion boxes, uh, I got one this week, Cody. Last week, I was having a little fun with the whole AJ should grow a mustache, which I stand by. I think it'd be hilarious. He's not going to do it, but I think it'd be hilarious, and I think it would kill the mustaches on the team. So I stand by it as a good one. This one is for serious, and I'm not sure AJ would do it, but I think it would benefit the fan base greatly. AJ has a policy of not making his assistance available to the media during the season. As it currently stands, we're give or take a month away from the season being over. This staff, just like AJ, is highly regarded and their work, we see it on the field every day, especially Chris Fetter, but don't want to forget about George Lombard and Scott Coolbaugh. How about we we get some some of the assistants like one day, maybe one per week. You know, give them one media availability. Let them talk to the media. Thus, you know, by extension, the fans. Uh, the, you know, these guys are smart enough, well versed enough that they're not going to give away any trade secrets. They're not going to you know, say anything that they shouldn't. But I think the fans would love to hear from Chris Fetter. I think the fans would love to hear from George Lombard, especially Lombard, because 
like we mentioned earlier in this pod, he could be gone. You know, it'd be nice. It's a shame that the fans don't have a little grasp on Lombard and who he is and how bright he is. Because again, I think this guy's going to be a manager soon. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a shame if, uh, if he's gone without, without Tigers fans ever really getting to embrace George Lombard. And, and we'll throw the hitting coach in there, Scott Coolbaugh as well, because the, the Tigers playing competitive baseball, Oh God, I'm gonna make a terrible pun has been a team effort. And the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit, and I think they they deserve their shine a little bit. I think they deserve some shine. And so that would be my suggestion to AJ. Relax the rules sometime before the season ends um, about assistant coaches talking to the media. I think that'd be, I think that'd be a, a win all around. Yeah, got to agree with that. Uh, obviously, as a journalist, I like that idea. I think at least one like end of year wrap up, learn what the first year was like for these guys would be cool. AJ Tigers PR, just be ready. I'm gonna request that with Chris Fetter at the end of the season. I'm not gonna ask him about Matt Manning's mechanics or Matthew Boyd's change up or specific players. I just want to know what what this year was like for him. So I'm gonna email you guys about that at the end of the year. Consider this a heads up. It'd be, it'd be cool if you let me do it. Um, I didn't get any feedback from AJ on your mustache, mustache suggestion. I figured he would throw in a little joke about how ridiculous that was. I guess it was so ridiculous he chose to not even <laughs> acknowledge it. I can understand. My suggestion for AJ Hinch and the Tigers this week. All right, they just sent down Zach Short. Uh, I assume they will call up another hitter, you know, after they get through this stretch of games, after they have an off day next week to restore the 13-13 balance on the roster. Look, Zach Schwartz has been good for you defensively, but man, the guy's really struggling at the plate. As much as I would like to see Isak Paredes, and as much as he's really picked it up in AAA, I don't know, like, Isak's had a couple of shots. Uh, I, I still hope we see him again before the end of the year, because you kind of got to figure out what he is. But why don't we give Cody Clemens a shot in the major leagues? Cody Clemens has had a nice year in AAA, uh, in the month of September so far, okay, well, it's only four games, but he's tearing it up. He's in 385. He, uh, he's hit, I think, 14 home runs in the minors. He had a pretty good August. He showed you some position versatility. Um, look, I think there's probably a ceiling on the guy's bat. He's not the greatest defender in the world, but he is the son of Roger Clemens, and you have to decide whether you are going to place him on the 40-man roster or expose him to the Rule 5 draft at the end of the year. I think so far, Clemens is kind of a real tweener. It'd be nice to get an idea of, he's 25, is like, is this a guy we can use? Is this a guy we want to keep around? Um, I understand why he hasn't been called up so far, but rather than shuttling Zach, Zach Short back and forth or giving Isak another courtesy two weeks, Let's get a look at Cody Clemens if there is another move to be had in the infield. That's my suggestion. Well, you know, you invested a certain draft capital in him. And I know pick. that was the the prior uh, managerial regime. Um, and I'm always a big fan of if this guy's doing everything you ask him to do, why not give him some sort of reward's not the right term, but you know what I mean? Like some some sort of like, all right, you did everything I wanted. Here's the end result. You can make. I'm not. I'm always gonna love big league debuts. And if if he could get his, you know, a couple hacks in the major leagues, why not? Because like you said, there's a uh, there's a real possibility that, or not a real possibility. There, it, you are gonna have to make a decision on him. And he's in AAA, so you're not hiding him if right. you want to see to like you know what I mean for you know through the Rule Five thing. So I agree. I think that's a good, he's done everything you've asked of him, and even the versatility, which I don't think that was part of his profile really prior to uh, prior to this year. So I think it's a good suggestion. I, I like that a lot. This is the year to kind of do that, and then you get you get more guys, data. Guys like in. Clemens are one unfortunate consequence of there not being you know 40 man extended rosters in september aj's talked a lot about he, he's glad that you can now only bring up two guys in september and i agree with him because it is kind of crazy you spend all year managing a 25 or now 26 man roster and then all of a sudden 
oh, we've got 16 extra guys off the bench. We don't have to worry about depth or rest or we can, we can do whatever we want. That's kind of crazy. Um, but in previous years, a guy like Cody Clemens would probably be up and he'd probably get a couple of bats in the majors and you could probably, I don't know if you'd make a decision on him, but you'd have a little more insight as to what he looks like in the big leagues. This year, there are a lot of guys who uh, just don't get that opportunity because of the new rules. I think the new rules are right, but there's another side of it, which is kind of unfortunate. Very true. All right, so next week, Cody, we're going to talk about the uh, the old and the young for the uh, current crop of pitchers, starting pitchers more specifically, on the Major League roster. We're going to look at Matthew Boyd now that he's had a couple starts uh, after his injury, and then we're going to talk about Matt Manning. We haven't gone into Matt Manning uh, in a bit and sort of dissect what kind of season he's got and you know what it kind of says what the actions of how they've used Matt, Matt Manning say about what they're going to do for some other prospects so I think that'll be a good discussion we're going to save that for next week sort of like a old and young thing so I hope everybody stays tuned please follow us on Twitter Cody is at Cody Stavenhagen I am at Kieran underscore Steckley our pod page is at turn corner pod Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are on Apple and Spotify. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Have a great weekend.